joining us today on Lattes with Leaders. I'm Zaina. And I'm Trisha. And we're excited for you to join us as we catch up over coffee with CEOs and executives from diverse backgrounds and industries. We seek to discover what is unique about each leader and educate you guys on new and interesting topics. Our conversations seek to enlighten and inspire people from around the world to realize that ordinary people can achieve extraordinary things. I have this passion that says, if customers are taking the time to tell you something, it matters, right? And if they go to that effort, then what do you do with it? Not on a transaction by transaction level. I think most financial institutions are pretty good at that, but rather at a portfolio level. Our guest for this episode, Marsha Tao, is a corporate leader and fintech founder with over 30 years of experience within financial services. Marsha helps organizations uncover growth opportunities by utilizing their hidden data assets. As EVP at Citi, Marsha created and built the global decision management function in over 30 markets, introducing advanced analytical tools and strong governance processes into business decisions. We speak to her today about being an intrapreneur within a large company and what it takes to build a truly data-centric organization. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Lattes with Leaders. In today's episode, we've got Marsha Tal with us. Welcome, Marsha. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And we're excited to have you. And today we're going to be discussing a very hot topic in the world of tech, data and everything to do with data. Marsha, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. First of all, thank you again for inviting me to Lattes with Leaders. Today, I am the CEO of Tal Solutions. I began my career in a corporate environment. I spent 25 years at, in Citigroup and had multiple roles in Citigroup. Uh, Ultimately, the last of my roles before I left was the founder and the head of decision management, which was a global function that I created um, within Citigroup that today really has taken off as an industry term, as well as um, really the introduction of understanding the importance of having analytic leadership at the C-suite. Yeah, I and that's one of the reasons that we're very excited to chat with you today is because you have this experience of introducing a new function at a very large corporate. And I feel like there's a growing pressure on a lot of companies, the, the large enterprises, to think about new ways to compete with the young tech companies, uh, the startups that are coming in and trying to innovate. Um, And you've kind of done that from a different lens. You've gone in and you've introduced this new function and tried to innovate within the context of a larger company and wanted to dive a bit deeper into that experience to start off with. What inspired you to start the decision management function at Citi? Well, I wish I could say that I had this big plan that I was going to build this global function that 
ended up in you know more than 30 markets with thousands of uh, analytic professionals, there was a gap right in the organization and there was a need to bring the analytic discipline that was so rooted within the risk management functions into the broader decisioning that took place across the business. And so I think when you're in financial services, it's well understood. I began my career in risk management. So I think it's well understood um, what the various roles are in risk management and the importance of protection, right, from a risk management standpoint. However, you know, in my career path, after I I was asked actually um, to take on some marketing roles from my risk management uh, days, after and so I so I did that. And when I was in marketing, one of the first things that I noticed is that there wasn't the same level of data that was driving all of the marketing decisions. And the marketing decisions, they impact all of the front-end drivers of a business P&L, and they also needed to be rooted in data-driven decisioning. And so, like, for example, if you're in a credit card business, while obviously uh, the probability of ensuring that a customer is going to pay you is critical, however, it's also critical to understand your target universe, who's going to respond, how they're going to use the card, what type of uh, behaviors they're going to exhibit on the card, and all of these drive your revenue dynamics within the business. And I noticed that those really didn't exist. So we went out starting really to do this by creating various segmentation schemes and various ways to address different types of marketing programs as well as pricing. And from there, I think what happened is we really developed and um, brought a lot of value to the organization that needed to be replicated and needed to be more structured. And from there, it was really all about uh, building an organization that had exact roles and role clarity and um, understood really what they needed to um, to bring into the decisioning process. And so once I started building out like an organizational structure, I realized this was not just going to be a, you know, a, a small organization. The application of data-driven decisioning at every point within and across our products was critical. So while we started in one market with one product, you know, I really believe in the transference of best practices and in building communities. And so that's what we did. Little by little, we saw and connected dots and understood through continuous learning that there were applications way beyond how we started that the business needed. So we kept growing and that's how we built the organization. Marsha, you make it sound very easy to do, which I'm sure it wasn't. Um, Having been in this part of the world for quite a while, there's so much complexity that comes with transforming legacy organizations and legacy technology to actually centralize information in these large organizations that have organically grown over 
you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years even. Like what kinds of challenges did you face? Because having face similar things you have all the politics that come with these kinds of programs I imagine there was a lot of spending that happened to kind of make something like this happen as well as a lot of technology challenges as well oh there were um quite a lot of challenges I would think about it first structurally Right. So the minute that you're building an organization, there needs to be a reporting structure. And I think you talked about and you used the word centralized. So decision management, first of all, the name, it didn't even start with a name. Right. I had to make up a name. (laughs) Um, And um, but the minute that you start thinking about a structure, it started, yes, more centralized. And the question was, as the leader of that function, who would I report into? And then those leaders that um, reported into me, was it direct line only into me? City was very famous for having matrix, um, a lot of matrix organizations as well. So what was really most important in the success of this organization from a structural standpoint is that, you know, the business leaders wanted decision management as part of their organization too. And it was my building relationships with my colleagues so that we could figure out the best way that the business would benefit by, you know, in terms of the structure of the organization that I think really made a difference Um, with common goals, with um, common metrics for success with talent development structures in place, because really this was one of the first times that people saw that they could have a career using their analytic disciplines and prowess, right, to be able to contribute to the business. And it was something that really gave people a lot of excitement, empowerment, freedom, because they loved this work, but they never saw that they could really advance. Part of my job was to make sure that people advanced, that people rotated. I uh, it was very important for me that, you know, in any given year, 20 to 25% of the people were moving around. So if today you were um, applying your analytic disciplines to one set of products. Tomorrow, it might be a different set of products. If you were in one market, then you'd go to another market. But when you have a, a structure in place, you just can't do that so simply, as you said. You need to really be committed to a talent process, a talent inventory, talent planning. So that's kind of one aspect of this, which was just structure and getting other people to want to work with us and for us as an organization to be part of um, the business and to be sought after. But I think one of the hardest things for me to do was to introduce decision management as a global function inside of a global structure. What that means, for example, at the simplest level, is if at City there was a management associate program where we had brought in young, talented professionals that would rotate in all different roles, right, in order to determine ultimately Um, where they were going to take on that uh, first job of theirs, then I wanted decision management to be part of those rotations. It wasn't intuitive. 
right? I had to really push for that to happen because that made us kind of um, at the table, right? Where at the very onset of people coming into the company, they would understand and they would have the opportunity to rotate through our function. So these are a couple of examples of things that every single day you spend your time on when you're introducing and leading a function, talent, structure, value creation, business impact, and, you know, moving closer into the mainstream, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that's really typical of corporates, isn't it? You've got to prove if you're doing something new, it has to have a material value from a financial standpoint to really get the buy-in from the organization, particularly for something like this, which seems to have spanned multiple verticals across Citibank and probably even globally, I imagine. Um, It did. And the numbers were very large, (laughs) right? (laughs) So, you know, success breeds success. So if you can um, demonstrate value and success, then you are really given the opportunity. And one of the things that I just loved about City was it had very much of this entrepreneurial spirit, right? It had very much like, you know, if, if if you can span and fly the wings, so to speak, and demonstrate it, then go ahead. Right. And so it was at that point in time, it was a unique point in time, really. Um, But I'm so proud of what it is that we were able to do, because really it was the entry point into driving analytic leadership. And today I look at all of these thousands and thousands of people that have gone through that function and they are leaders across our industry and other industries within this discipline. Yeah, and that was a point I wanted to touch on is how do you actually um, educate and attract talent into a function which um, it doesn't sound like it ever been done before? So where do you get this talent from or how do you home grow it in a way that's going to have an impact quickly um, considering you would have had your own timelines you had to work towards um and milestones how does how do you actually do go about that if it's not skills that exist necessarily in the market well interesting the first thing we needed to do was we needed to create a vision mission values people didn't really understand what i meant by values right but it was important we had values accountability entrepreneurship learning These are things that um, are critical when you want to attract people into your organization to create a culture. So really what I thought was most important was creating this culture. It was less really about the structure and more about a community of people that really enjoyed working together, working with each other and worked really hard, right? Um, But I think little by little through role clarity, expansion of roles, global expansion, really saw that um, there was great opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like how you've talked about 
the vision aspect of it and really stepping back from thinking about decision management as a function to thinking about decision management almost as a discipline. You know, what does it actually mean to enhance decision making and provide analytics and data to develop a better understanding of customers and how to deliver value to customers? I wanted to get into that aspect of it um, and starting to think more about what does decision management actually mean as a discipline um, and you know what are what are some of the major themes when it comes to um, to learning about the voice of the customer? Sure. Well, let me kind of take you through this transition a minute because I think that will um, that will help um, understand help the understanding better of how you actually number one leave a corporate environment, um, build your own company right, where um, obviously it's very different and focus on uh, what it is that you're going to be doing and what it is you want to be building. So the first thing I would say is similarly to when I created decision management, I said, what's my vision? What am I, what's my mission? What's my values? I needed to do that as kind of now an entrepreneur. Again, something that most entrepreneurs don't begin with but I can say that it was one of the most helpful things that I did because I needed to be able to articulate what it is that I really wanted to accomplish, right? And um, for me, I wanted to focus on those particular areas that I was not able to complete while I was at City. And so we'll get into that. That's where I get into the voice of the customer. But I think first and foremost, I had to look inside, like all of us do, right, at various stages of our careers. And we have to say, well, who are we? And who are we now at this stage of our career? And what are we looking for? What do we want from this next part of our career journey? And for me, taking all of the knowledge and the processes and the systems and the applications and the understandings that I had developed, I wanted to use those to make an impact. The one thing that I had so much passion around that I just, it was too early at that time, really, for me to accomplish what I wanted in this area um, when I was at City, was around using the voice of customer data. So let me talk about that a little bit. Um, because even when you are in an analytic function, the use of your work is going to impact right the customers. If right, so how can you even begin the work if you are not listening? to how customers are responding either to the products that you have, how you're kind of listening to what customers are telling you. So, you know, I would go side by sides listening to um, customer conversations all the time. And the more and more that I thought about this, the more and more I thought this information is not being used in a systematic way right, to be brought into the process. And one of the reasons at that time is because the technology really didn't exist the way it does today. Think today about 
you know, natural language processing and AI and all of these analytic capabilities that we have to listen to either um, voice or to manipulate text, um, even video, right? So if you think about all of the capabilities we have today, this is very important information. And we don't think about it as a data source. So the first thing I thought about around the voice of the customer is how do I integrate this as a data source? Similar to how I had done in the past. I mean, you know, I had introduced many new data sources into our industry. I did a lot to introduce credit bureau data, transaction data. So, and you, you know where that all went in our industry. Why wouldn't the same thing happen today with voice of customer data? I did a little research and saw that just in the United States, there are more than 100 billion conversations that take place over the course of a year between a service-based institution and their customers. So really, I have this passion that says, if customers are taking the time to tell you something, it matters. Right. And if they go to that effort, then what do you do with it? Not on a transaction by transaction level. I think most financial institutions are pretty good at that, but rather at a portfolio level, taking in these hundreds of millions of conversations in a systematic way and then using it as a data source the same way you would do any other type of customer data and then figuring out what you know, how you can improve your business, how you can improve your risks, how you can manage your risks, reputational risk, regulatory risk, business risk, payment risk, or credit risk. Uh, These are all risks that I, I can absolutely tell you that customers are giving you hints about these things way before it's going to happen. So like any other risk mindset, remember I said that, you know, I spent a good portion of my career in risk management. They say once a risk manager, always a risk manager, right? You're looking to really think about how do I use this information to protect the institution? Because basically in today's world, the customers and what they're telling you, you know, um, can and will one day become open for everybody to see. And we see it today even in the CFPB data. I was thinking, I think this is a good uh, good place for us to actually just reflect on the conversation so far because what I've picked up on is we've got a couple of steps, right, to become, I'd say, a data-centric organization. So there's lining up your organization and finding the talent to help you do what you need to do. Then there comes that um, capturing the data and having a way of capturing and storing the data. And then there's the analytics that come off that. And that's actually being able to capture insights off the back of that data that you've captured. And I suppose this brings us to the next evolution of data that we're now seeing come um, up a lot today, which is the artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I wanted to just explore a little bit. Firstly, what are they? Like, um, if you're able to give us an overview, you know, what what are they and why are they relevant? 
Um, and then explore a little bit more about how organizations are using those techniques to um, provide better customer experiences. Sure. So I think um, I'm going to separate that into um, a couple of thoughts. So when you think today about the various types of analytic disciplines, not dissimilar from the past, just this is what is of today, right? The more um, relevant, common techniques that are being used today are all around artificial intelligence and machine learning, which basically is allowing a model to continuously learn as the data keeps getting updated. So it gives you, (coughs) excuse me, it gives you the opportunity, right, for the data to actually be almost telling you what is happening, right, and getting um, updated and the outcomes coming from the continuous evolution of this new, the new data that's coming into the process, as opposed to you thinking about it ahead of time and almost coding it beforehand. Now, having said that, right, there are a lot of challenges today, particularly regulatory agencies for like financial institutions that are challenging the use of this type of technique and model. Why is that? Because if you really take a step back, a lot of the data that is captured in our systems is a product of our policies and practices that have been in place over many, many years. It's not that often that organizations are redoing their, you know, their broad policies. And so if there were some type of, we'll call them biases in the way in which we were acting upon the policies that were in place, then that stays within the data and then the data carries that through. And so there is a lot of, we'll call it questions about how this these types of modeling techniques should be used, how they should be monitored, how to ensure that we're not just basically um, doing the same thing that's been done in the past. And so I kind of want to share that that's a whole, you know, it's a whole set of discussions and you know, regulations and laws that are going to be um, upon us as it relates to these types of techniques. Now, the difference in what I'm doing is that um, the data that I'm using, remember I had said earlier that the data that I'm using is only the customer narrative. It is what the customer is actually saying. So therefore, If you actually believe that what the customer is telling you, which, by the way, is their perception of any situation that has taken place, but if you actually believe that the more and more that customers tell you things, the more value you're going to have, the breadth of the types of conversations that come into the discussion become broader and broader 
that is unique. And that is an opportunity to really keep enhancing and expanding, right, what it is that we're hearing from our customers. And that's the way I approach this. I approach this from that standpoint to improve friction points, right, to help us focus on where it is we really need to focus and to almost trace it back based on what a customer is saying. Trace it back to what it is we're actually doing and then point to places where we can improve that. It's a little bit different than where I think some of the challenges are today in using these same type of discipline to make lending decisions or to make customer acquisition decisions or even to make hiring decisions for employees, right? So I hope that that helps you um, distinguish a little bit uh, what's different about the way in which I'm looking at this right now. Customer narratives, customer words, customer... um, sharing their experiences, their friction, the way they're perceiving things, but also customers telling you what's happening in their life. One of the things that happened during the pandemic that I always knew, but now it was there, right right there, customers were telling us what was going on with the state of their health, the state of their wealth, the way in which they were viewing the world socially, right? And all of these things were starting to come together, as you know, during the um, various phases that we continue to go through still even now, as we are going through so many different types of changes. And when somebody is telling you specifically about what's going on with their health and their state of money, and they're telling you that they're not going to be able to pay you. That is very important information that we need to take into account to find and figure out how we can help our customer, but also to know that we can get ahead of a situation because the customer is telling us we don't have to wait until they actually demonstrate that they can't pay us by not paying us. They've told us, right? They've told us how they're feeling. They're telling us what's going on. They're telling us when they perceive that they're being discriminated against. And they may not even use those words, but we know that it's happening. We know it when somebody says things like, they don't respect my pronoun, or, um, you know, various types of language that would help us understand the ways in which people feel that they're being treated differently than other people. And the fact that they're telling us and that we're not using it, that's the problem. We need to be using this data. And that's really what Positivity Tech is all about. Ingesting this data, using the data, the words themselves, figuring out kind of at what stage there is value, algorithmic value, right, from, um, you know, what the customer is saying and applying it to the various stages of the way in which we, you know, we work with our customers, whether it be all the way from, you know, the onboarding of customers, account opening, 
closing accounts, huge, huge problem during the pandemic, forbearance programs, debt collection. You could go through the entire cycle, inaccurate information, improper use of your credit report, your credit score. I can go on and on, but our customers are telling us all of the things that they are experiencing. And it's it really is our responsibility to use that. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say that, you know, it just seems so obvious, but like not a lot of companies are understand how to even do that or how to put that into practice, right? Actually understanding, decoding what customers are saying and putting it into like actually leveraging that data um, to be able to improve their processes. And I wanted to go into that a little bit more, actually. So um, with what you're doing with Positivity Tech, you're you know able to listen to the voice of the customers, pick up on all of these cues with regards to customers' um, ability to pay and what they're actually saying in terms of how they're, you know, how the organization is treating them. Um, how how do you then change the processes that accompany the the actual customer experience delivery component so you've got your data you've done the analytical component of it how do you influence change in these organizations and work with the people to improve the situation for customers so we have this module that really links these models the outcomes of these models to the various types of policies and or product features or communication practices, right, that are taking place in your business. And then we model based on our own experience, right? If you would make these kinds of changes, what would the financial impact be? Because at the end of the day, right, we have to be able to demonstrate value. The question is then, to what end, how do you prioritize that? What's going to matter first, second, and third? What problems are you trying to solve? Are you looking to solve this right first um, because in areas of your most extreme pain? So those would be customer complaints and customers that are complaining to the regulators, right? That is the ultimate kind of pain point, right? Because now you have a regulatory responsibility as part of your safety and soundness and complaint management processes to respond to those. So how can you get ahead of that, right? If it's not necessarily going to be all the way, right, to that level of complaint, shouldn't you be able to pick those signals up earlier? How early? If somebody is telling you why they still are have no signs of delinquency at all, that they're struggling, how do you protect them and protect your business as early as possible? So these are all signals. And by doing that, if you did that, how much money would you actually save? You would save expense dollars, right? You would save all of these collection costs. You might have to spend a little to save a little, but these are all now can be modeled. And that's, you know, in building this um, platform, 
we understood that that's the way that we can sell it because that's my set of experiences from the beginning. You have to be able to prove value. Yeah. And that's kind of pointing towards the the overall theme of this episode, I suppose, which is, you know, to create a data-centric organization, you really have to think through the end-to-end impact of what you're doing, right? It's not just taking data for the sake of it and, you know, producing some insights. It's what insights are actually going to deliver value and then actually communicating that and enabling that value to to happen in those organizations. I think you've summed it up beautifully. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today, Marsha, on Lattes with Leaders. It's been a really enjoyable hour today with you. um, And I feel like I've learned so much already. Um, So thank you for giving us your time and your expertise. Thank you for inviting me. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. Don't forget to check out our more recent episodes where we connect with global female CEOs to explore how to make it to the top. Whether your ambition is to be an executive at a corporate, build a franchise or pivot your traditional career, check us out. Be sure to give us a like or follow on LinkedIn, TikTok or Instagram at Lattes with Leaders. Our mission is to hear the voices of women from around the world. So if you're an avid listener and want your voice heard through our platform, please reach out.